This morning, I want to begin by asking you a question, which is, why are you here? And I have to be careful with my tone and how I ask that, because I don't want to send the impression that we don't want you here at West Hills. Like, why are you here? You know, uh, That's not what I'm asking. But, but why are you here? There could be any number of motivations for you and uh, why you're joining us this morning. Maybe you grew up in church, and that's just what you've always done. Maybe uh, you're still in town uh, visiting for Christmas and your family drug you along. Uh, perhaps it's a chance for you to see friends, um, especially with the isolation due to COVID. This is sort of a social outlet for you. Maybe corporate worship lifts your spirits, you know, joining in, in, in songs with fellow saints. Maybe you just feel better when you attend church. It encourages you. It, it recenters you for the rest of the week. Maybe you feel better about yourself, like you're a better person for being here. God loves you more, something like that. Or the, the email for this past week from our church's elders encouraging you to, to be here motivated you to come back. If you're a hyper-Calvinist, you may even believe that none of us had a choice but to be here this morning, right? Before the beginning of time, God sovereignly set in motion a chain of events, a plan that predetermined that these exact people would be in this exact place at this exact time today. Whatever your reason, I want to assure you, we're truly glad you're here. But let's forget about church for a minute, and let me ask you, why are you on this earth to begin with? Get a little bit more existential. Why are, why are we here collectively as a church on this earth? Why does West Hills Church exist? Businesses exist to make money. Schools exist to teach. Governments exist to govern. Why do churches exist? As a church, our answer to this question is what we want to unpack this morning. And it's actually pretty straightforward. We are a gospel-centered church who glorify God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, by growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and by serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. That's it. That's why we're here. But as we're going to see these next two weeks, that seemingly simple statement is loaded with meaning. And so as we head into this new year together, I, wanna, I want us to pick apart that mission statement with you in order to remind us why we're here. And as I said, you know, I began working on this sermon uh, as a standalone message and then realized there's just too much importance here. And so this is going to be a two-parter, be a good bridge into the new year for us. So we'll actually start the new year with part two of this uh, message. And so we're only going to hit half of your bulletin this morning. But, you know, typically uh, we, we begin every sermon here at West Hills by standing and reading together our biblical text for the morning. But today we're, we're going to be, I assure you, we'll be referencing no shortage of Scripture, but the specific text that we're actually going to, to exegete, that we're going to analyze and apply together, is actually our church's mission statement. And so I am going to invite you to stand with me now as you're able, uh, but to the extent that you're comfortable doing so, I would love to uh, invite you to collectively recite with me our church's mission statement. If, you, if you're new and you're not quite you know, comfortable yet publicly declaring your allegiance you know, to West Hills Church or something like that, uh, that's totally fine. I, I want to make sure you know, though, this is not about declaring your allegiance to West Hills Church. I think you're going to see here there's nothing unique to West Hills. 
You know, churches use different wording, but, but any truly biblical church is going to essentially be pursuing and, and, and after and existing for these same reasons that we are going to unpack. And so here it is. Uh, if you would, would you recite this with me? We are a gospel-centered church who glorify God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this calling this mission that you have left us with here on this earth as your church. Father, we thank you for calling us together as the church, for purchasing the church with the precious blood of your Son, for redeeming us as we've already sung this morning and praised you for. God, we we do not take lightly this gift of community, Christian community that you've given us in the church. And so uh, this morning we pray that you might illuminate our study, that Holy Spirit, you would help us as we we unpack the scriptures that that help piece together this mission mission statement of ours as a church. Would you illuminate our, our study and open our minds and our hearts to see more clearly why it is that we are here, and ultimately that you might empower us to more effectively live out our calling that you've left us with. Jesus, we pray this for our own good, but most importantly for your glory and in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So why are we here? Well, very simply, First and foremost, we are here to glorify God. Everything that exists, we exist as a church, as believers, as human beings, as creatures, everything that was created, all of creation, made by God for his glory. Romans eleven thirty six 36 says, from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. I don't know if you've ever wondered why God even bothered creating parts of outer space that we can't even reach, much less we we can't even see them, haven't discovered them. I think God's reminder to us that creation is not about us, right? It's about him. Psalm 19.1 declares, even the heavens declare the glory of God. Those parts of outer space, they're for him, not us. And according to Genesis 1, as human beings specifically you and I have been made uniquely in the image of God for the very purpose of reflecting, of mirroring his glory to the world. God tells us in Isaiah 43, 7, everyone who is called by my name, I created for my glory, I formed and I made. And the New Testament exhorts us, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's why we're here, to bring God glory. It's, it's, it's very simple. Now, I think the first thing that we ought to do in response to this massive truth of the meaning of our existence is simply pause and give God thanks. God, we we worship you as we just got done doing in our our songs. 
Because number one, you, you really are so glorious. You're all glorious, worthy of every praise we could ever sing. God, you alone are worthy of our entire lives, our whole hearts, minds, soul, and strength. God, you deserve it all. And number two, God, we further thank you for revealing our purpose in this life to us so clearly in your word. Friends, God has not left us to stumble around in the darkness, desperately searching for and trying to conjure up for ourselves some sense of meaning out of our lives. When I worked at the boarding school in Indiana, I had the idea to host and moderate a series of faculty debates. I would pick a topic, does God exist, or are science and faith compatible, and then I would recruit four five, six teachers with a wide range of opinions on the issue to serve on a panel, and then I'd sort of, you know, poke them and let them go at it, and it was really fun. But one year, uh, I chose the, the topic, what is the purpose of life? And I gave each of them two minutes to introduce themselves and give sort of a summary opening argument of their position. So the atheist chemistry teacher went first. He said, hi, I'm Chris Carrillo. And I believe there is no objective purpose in life. That human beings are a happy accident, a product of the Big Bang and evolution, random collocations of atoms bumping together. When we die, we are gone forever. But this gives me a greater sense of urgency and gratitude for my life, the wonder of it all, you know, the desire to make the most of it because it's the only life we've got. That's my purpose is to live it up. The agnostic athletic trainer went next. He said, I'm Danny Cowell. I believe our purpose in life is to discover our purpose. Each of us is here for different reasons, and so you've got to get out there and find out what your life is meant to be about. Life is about the journey, not the destination. Endeavor to be a lifelong seeker. The progressivist Christian uh, humanist humanities teacher went next. She said, hi, I'm Jackie Irwin. And I think our purpose is to leave the world a little, little better place than we found it. Do good to others. Treat them the way you want to be treated. Spread love and hope. And together we can keep progressing as a human species and leave the world a little better place. And finally, because I let him la have the last opening word, my, my buddy, the evangelical Christian physics teacher, I was friends with all of them, by the way, but I was a little partial bias towards Phil's, Phil's viewpoint. Phil said, I'm Phil Blessman. I believe our purpose in life is to glorify God. I believe everything that exists was created by God for his glory, but that we've all fallen short of bringing God the, the glory that he deserves, and so God sent his son Jesus, the pinnacle of his glory, to die for us. And we are now called to glorify God by surrendering our lives humbly in faithful obedience to him. Now, to be fair, I asked, we had a lively discussion, I asked pretty tough follow-up questions to each of them. I asked Chris, you know, Dr. Carrillo, what would you say to the student here who, like you, is also starting to believe that maybe there may be no greater purpose to her life, but instead of filling her life with more importance and gratitude, that idea is understandably causing her great despair and distress and hopelessness. I asked Danny, Mr. Cal, if the whole purpose of life is to find your purpose, 
then once you succeed in finding it, haven't you by definition emptied your life of its purpose? Like by that logic, the minute you discover why you've been put here on earth, you now no longer have a reason to be here. It is axiomatically a self-refuting, lose-lose philosophy of life. I asked Jackie, Dr. Irwin, why should I be good? Why should I do good? Who even gets to decide what it means to be good? Why should I care about others, about making the world a better place if I'm not even going to be around to enjoy it? Why bother? Can you really derive moral absolutes without a common and objectively authoritative moral law like the Bible and moral lawgiver? God, absolute truth. But here are the three questions that I asked Mr. Blessman that I think as believers, we at least need to acknowledge this morning, we could spend an entire sermon on any of these, but we'll just pick up the last one and, and run with it for the rest of the, the sermon, but, and, and next week as well. But the first two, quickly, number one, is it selfish for God to create us for his glory? That's a real question. God admits in no uncertain terms in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, my glory I give to no other. Does that make God some kind of insecure, narcissistic, egomaniac? And the short answer is no. i just give you two quick reasons. First and most importantly, God really is, objectively speaking, supreme. God is the highest good in all the universe, and so for God to be zealous for his own glory is absolutely good. For him to be as passionate about anything other than, less than his own glory, that would actually be a deficiency on God's part. But secondly, I, I do think it bears mentioning that not only is God's glory not incompatible with human flourishing, it is in fact the very key to it. God has actually designed you and I in such a way, friends, that as St. Augustine famously said, our hearts really are restless until they find their rest in him. Or as John Piper inversely puts it, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So God designed us to find our most ultimate sense of satisfaction in him. So it's not selfish at all. It's actually the most selfless, loving thing that God could possibly do to exhort us to live for his glory. God might as well command us, be eternally happy and fulfilled. Because that's the end result of pursuing his glory instead of my own. That brings up a second point. Is it needy for God to create us for his glory? Does, does that point us to some sort of deprivation or lack on God's part? Did he have to create us because God needed us to give him glory or else he would be missing out on something? And once again, the short answer is no. But I think I'm going to skip over the longer answer of, of that one. It might make a good podcast episode for later, but I'll just let you go home, ponder, research, theologize on that one for yourselves. But the third and, and most important follow-up question that I want to dig into in our remaining time, that we've got to ask ourselves, once we conclude biblically that we are here for God's glory, is what? What's the natural question that should follow for every believer? If we're here for God's glory... How do we give him glory? <laughs> how, 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 what does it mean to glorify him? How do I do that? And the Bible's answer to that question is what drives the rest of our mission statement as a church and the rest of our time today and next week. There are three explicit overarching ways that God has outlined for us in his word 
that bring him glory. And before we unpack the first of those in our remaining time this week, and we'll, we'll spend next week on numbers two and three, I would just remind you again, quickly, we are called to glorify God in all that we do. 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So according to God, it really is possible even to eat, to drink, do the most mundane things in life unto God's glory or not. But there are three specific callings by which God is always glorified. You may or may not glorify God in the way that you eat or drink, but to the extent that you do these three things, you are glorifying him. And if you are not doing these three things, then you are not glorifying God and living out your purpose, why he's put you here. So I want to give you not only the scripture to back each of them up, but also some practical, just take home suggestions and application points for you as well. So our first point that will be on the rest of this morning, number one, we glorify God through community, through community. At West Hills, we put it this way, we glorify God by living in authentic Christian community with one another. Community might be the hottest buzzword in the church world for the past three decades. Uh, I would be willing to bet that there have been more churches planted or rebranded in America in the last 20, 30 years under the name community than those named after the Bible, the gospel, Jesus, Baptist. That includes our own church, formerly Bethany Baptist. It was rebranded some 20 years ago as West Hills Community Church. That was a popular strategic marketing decision in the church world uh, for for a period of time there. The Bible is offensive today. And the Bible itself tells us the gospel is always offensive. It's a stumbling block, 1 Corinthians. And so, Baptist, uh, you want to talk about historical baggage, right? So, you know what everyone longs for, though? Community. This hope of being truly known and yet truly loved. Our hearts long for it. Scripture affirms that God made us not only for his own glory, vertical relationship, but for community as well, horizontal relationship with one another. We are made in God's inherently relational, Trinitarian, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit image. And the first thing in creation that God actually calls not good is what? Adam being alone in the garden in Genesis 2. And so God made a helper fit for him, the first community. And yet God's vision for community for us goes far beyond just the husband-wife relationship. Some of us in the church world even, we, we sell ourselves short on, well, I've got you know, a spouse and that's, that's good enough. God was not content in the Old Testament to just call Abram and Sarai to himself. He promised to make of them a great nation, to make them a people of his own possession, even in his law. Look at the Ten Commandments. Most of them, six of the ten, regulate our horizontal human-to-human interpersonal interactions, relationships, community. God really cares about the way we treat each other. You flip over to the New Testament. You're going to find 100 one-another exhortations there honor one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, instruct one another, be kind to one another, welcome one another, submit to one another, reprove one another, encourage one another, and most importantly and most frequently of all, what? Love one another. 
Love one another. The call to love makes up one-third of all those one another statements in the New Testament. Why? Why does God put so much emphasis on loving Christian community? Couldn't I glorify him just as much by forsaking all human relationships and just live a life purely devoted to God alone? Go be a monk somewhere, you know, in the woods, all on my own. Like, God, I'm an introvert. You should know you made me this way. Well, introverts, I have some bad news for you, but some good news. Because God knew what he was doing when he called you to authentic Christian community, despite your introvertedness. The Bible's clear answer is no. No, you cannot glorify God to the fullest outside of community for two big reasons. There's probably more, but I'll just point to two primary reasons. Number one, God absolutely loves watching his children love one another. He loves it. It brings him great joy and delight. You know, I thought as a parent that it was, it was wonderful when we had our, our daughter Ellery. And then earlier this year, we were blessed to adopt Elijah. And to watch her love on him, care for him, to watch him light up when she walks in the room, because she's his favorite person. Right? There is no greater joy for a parent. God is the same way with us, friends. He says so in 1 John 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If that person sitting in the, the row, the pew behind you every Sunday who annoys you by singing at the top of their lungs, totally off-key, if that person in your life group who brings up the same tired prayer request every week, like, I'm sick of praying for your neighbor's sciatica. I don't know your neighbor. I don't even know what sciatica is. I, I, I just frankly don't care. I just, I just preached to myself this morning for a minute. If that person who never has a single positive thing to say about any of your sermons, at the minute I see her name in the inbox, I know already my heart sinks because I know it's, there's never a word of encouragement. If Jesus loved her so much that he would give up, lay down his life, die for her, how much more so, regardless of her sins, how much more so should I love her? That's, that's convicting for me as your pastor. Our God loves it when his blood-bought children love one another warts and all, and he hates it when we don't. He, he makes it clear in no uncertain terms. God warns us, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It's really that simple. And the second reason that community is so important to God is that it's one of the most powerful witnesses to God's love and his power that Christ has left us with. If in any, here's the thing. In any other community, I would not put up with those emails or the person who sends them. 
you know, there's a guy that used to be in my volleyball circle that played with us that never had anything nice to say. You know, he always criticized the way everybody else played the game. And notice I said he used to be in the volleyball circle. Right? That, that annoying brother or sister in your life group, you would not put up with them in your secular book club. Right? You just go join another book club with people less annoying. But we don't do that in the church because not only is God glorified when his children love and forgive and, yes, confront when necessary in love, but also bear with one another but moreover, it speaks volumes to the outside watching world when they see us, Republicans and Democrats, white and black, rich and poor, nerds and jocks, complementarians and egalitarians, when they see us in the church holding hands, pre-COVID, hugging, hugging one another, singing and worshiping together, breaking bread in one another's homes, living out authentic Christian community in Jesus' name for God's sake and his glory. Despite all our differences, the world is forced to ask itself, what in the world keeps this group of people together? And the only possible answer is the gospel. It's the reality of God's love for us we just celebrated together at Christmas that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. We are now children of God. We're God's family. Jesus is the glue that holds this ragtag family together. But he's stronger than any adhesive that the world has to offer so that's the thing. The world's answer for that relational longing in your heart is tribalism. Go find folks who look and think exactly like you, other rich white Republicans, then retreat into your echo chamber. And if you're still exposed to too much that, that threatens your tribe, you know, if you're a liberal, then you go find a safe space. If you're a conservative, then you just leave Facebook and join Parler instead. Because the world's cheap substitute for community is identity politics. But God says, in my family, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The world doesn't have a category for that kind of radical, tribe-defying unity. And so they're forced to reckon with the power of Christ unifying love, to, to bring together an otherwise irreconcilable, incompatible people under the banner of God's gospel. Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, so you also are, are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's your witness to the world. And so my challenge to you this morning and for 2021 as we look ahead together, brothers and sisters, specifically on this point of community, this comes straight from Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Some folks think the day is drawing near. The world may just come to an end here in 2020. I guess we'll find out in four days. But even so, what has God left us to do until he returns? Encourage one another. Let's build one another up, stir one another up to love and good works in Christian community. Meet together. Don't neglect it. Gather. That's what the word church means, by the way. Ecclesia. It means assembly, gathering. We are, by definition, a gathering people. You know, some people think that the whole idea of virtual church is a contradiction of terms. I want to just assure those of you who are stuck at home that we really do love you and we miss you. We long to be with you again in person, the in-person gathering as soon as humanly possible because I hope, my hope is that those of you at home joining us, you are painfully aware by now, whether you want to call this church or not, that this virtual thing is not even close to what we share here as we gather together as God's people, the real thing. And so challenge number one is to gather with the church. Uh, that's, that's my challenge to us as we, as we think about what are, what are you know, just stakes that we need to drive in the ground and commit to as God's people in the new year if you're making resolutions, New Year's re resolutions this year, here's three on the, on, specifically on the area of community for you this morning. Number one is gather with the church. You know, typically in this last Sunday heading into the new year for the past few years, we passed out these little cards to encourage you, you know, to, to kind of take these challenges more, more tangibly and even put a number with it. This was our pledge card from last year. I, fill in your name, resolve with the Lord's help that in 2020 I will worship however many Sundays with the church, study books of the Bible, devote how much of my day to prayer, give what percentage of my income to the, to, to the Lord, serve how many hours a week, tell people about Jesus, disciple people. Listen, if that's helpful to you, between you and the Lord, um, we wouldn't ever have people turn these in. This is not about us being, you know, the moral police or something. But if that's helpful to you to have that level of accountability, if you want to, you know, we'll leave the slide up. If you, if you want to copy down those categories, go home, take it and pray through it on your own, that's fine. I'm not going to push it this year for two reasons. I, I didn't print out cards this year because part of it is I think part of what, you know, God was teaching us in 2020 is uh, that um, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps, Proverbs 16, 9. I think, you know, God was just constantly laughing at our plans all through 2020. Um, but the other reason, more significantly, I'm not passing out these pledge cards this year, is frankly, I think that the Bible actually does a pretty good job of answering most of these for us already. Like, how many Sundays should you gather with the church for corporate worship? Do not neglect to meet <laughs> all of them. Why would you ever miss? What, what could you possibly doing, be doing on a Sunday morning that would be more important than gathering with God's people, even if that means virtually? Like you have surgery the day before, tune in. <laughs> You're stuck at home right now with COVID, tune in. 
even if it means virtually, even if it means visiting another church while you're on vacation, why would you ever want to deprive yourself of the opportunity to be with God's people on the Lord's day to worship him? How much scripture should you study through in the new year? Again, as much as possible. Joshua 1.8, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Psalm 119.11, store it up in your heart so that you might not sin against God. Acts 17.11, receive the word with all eagerness as much as possible. Be in God's word in the new year. How often should you pray? 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Romans 12, 12, be constant in prayer. Ephesians 6, 18, pray at all times in the Spirit. How much should you give? As much as God prospers you, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. As much as you're able, as much as you can cheerfully give, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. 10% seems to be a good recommended biblical minimum, Numbers 18, 26. How much should you serve? As much as Jesus. That's what Matthew 20 says. You must be a slave even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus died for you. You can probably handle a few crying babies in the nursery once a month. How much should I evangelize, disciple others? Are you sensing a theme here? As much as possible. Go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them all that I've commanded you. Right? Jesus was... He was a pretty all-or-nothing kind of guy. Jesus was not very good at compartmentalizing off part part of your life for him. And then this is the part that I'm going to keep for me. These are the Sundays I'm going to stay home. This is the percentage of my income. This is the, you know. He said, go sell everything and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So to bring us back to this idea of community now, I'm not going to try and tell you how many Sundays you can miss before it becomes sin. I'm just going to say as much as humanly possible, you need the church. You need to be with the church. And that means Sundays, but it also means number two, midweek in a life group. There's a reason that every church in the world that is larger than 20 people does life groups. They might call it small groups, cell groups, community groups. I don't care what you call it. It is impossible for 300 people on a Sunday. Obviously, we're a little smaller than that with COVID, but it's impossible for us to practice all of the one another's of the New Testament. It just won't work practically. You need an outlet. You need a smaller group of folks, a community who can truly know you and you can truly know them to the point that you're actually able to confront them when needed, to admonish them, the less popular one another's of the New Testament, but also to pray with them, to bear burdens for them. This is the beauty of God's design for us in Christian community. You know deep down you want it. The Bible says you need it. We invite you to come get it in 2021 at West Hills. Sunday morning worship, midweek life group, and then then lastly, I want to add a third to that. You've seen we're promoting and really rolling out this year is our discipleship groups. As the name suggests, this one, like really all the others, fits in the discipleship category that we'll pick apart next Sunday. But none of our ministries 
here is exclusively about community for community's sake, the church is never just going to be a social club. We're always going to gather together around God's word. He is the center. He is the ultimate aim, ultimate aim of all our community. But even as we launch these discipleship groups in 2021, the goal is even more than just discipleship. It's even more than just growing in godliness. That alone would be a worthy pursuit. But listen, you can grow in godliness by listening to John Piper's sermons online. You, you can grow in spiritual maturity as a disciple of Jesus, as our mission statement says, by listening to a good podcast. But there's a reason Jesus didn't just walk around towns handing out AirPods. There's a reason he invited 12 guys to come and follow him, to come and walk in his dust, to come watch how he lived, to follow his example this is, there's a reason the Apostle Paul said, imitate me as I am imitate Christ. He didn't just say, go read your Bible. He called people. This is life-on-life life discipleship, and that's what we want to offer you humbly. You know, as a church at West Hills in the new year, the opportunity to learn from and to grow alongside others in true Christian community. Today is the last day to sign up for that, so if, if you want to opt into that, you need to let me know today. But here, here's, here's your conclusion for this week. And spoiler alert, conclusion for next week as well, the only possible way, friends, for us to, to be a growing missional community is to be a gospel-centered church. That's why our mission statement at West Hills begins with the phrase, we are a gospel-centered church who glorify God by living out these ways. Because the only way to live out our calling that Christ has left us with is by being a gospel-centered church. That statement recognizes two vitally important things as we close. Number one, we really do need each other. That's the church part. Church, community, gathering. We really do. There's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity because every believer is both too sinful and also too weak and frail vulnerable to make it in this world that we live in on your own, devoid of Christian community. Plus, Jesus, as we said, he died to establish the church. He died to, to, to call us in the community so we don't spit in his face by neglecting the gift of community or treating it as optional. But even more importantly, number two, not only do we need each other, but we need him. We need Jesus. That's the gospel part of the gospel-centered church. Our community, this, this ragtag family, will never hold together unless we remain unified, fixated around the cross of Jesus Christ. If we collectively take our eyes off of Jesus for even a second, this whole community endeavor totally unravels and falls apart. So brothers and sisters, may we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus in 2021, the author and perfecter of our faith. And may he get all the glory, delighting in his children's love for him and for one another. Amen. Let's pray.